Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, this is Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host WFIU-WTIU news journalist Joe Wren. Severe storms have plagued the Midwest. May was the fourth worst month ever recorded for tornadoes. Last Saturday, 10 tornadoes touched down in central Indiana during an outbreak of severe weather across the state. The severe weather has flooded farmers' fields, damaged roads, Issues brought on by the heavy rains have closed Brown County State Park until Sunday and have put Lake Monroe 13 feet above its normal level. So we're going to talk about these issues and more, the effects of the weather, today with three guests on Noon Edition. We have Beth Hall, director of the Indiana State Climate Office at Purdue University, is joining us by phone. And in the studio, we have Paul Staten, assistant professor at Indiana University's Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, and Julie Thomas, the president of the Monroe County Board of Commissioners. You can join us by phone at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can send your questions for the show to news at Indiana publicmedia.org. So thanks for being here, Julie and Paul. Thanks for being in the studio. And Beth, thanks for joining us by phone. I appreciate having, yeah, having all of you with us today. So it's been kind of a rough, a rough road. I'm going to start with Julie. Uh, Julie Thomas, president of the Monroe County Board of Commissioners. What goes into the idea of declaring an emergency and asking for some federal funding relief? Right. Well, we ha- we were in a position where if we did not declare emergency, if there were federal funds available, we would not be eligible for them. So, so that is the primary reason for issuing such a declaration. But um, also the fact that there are road crews out still with uh, flooding issues on some roads. But there are road crews out. There are utility crews out. There are sheriff's deputies out and fire departments. So we want to make sure that people all around the county were aware that they have to follow the instructions that these folks offered um, through this emergency and make sure that that we aren't impeding their progress mm-hmm. so what kind of what kind of weather i mean what can you sort of summarize the weather that that led to the emergency well, yes we were i was I was watching it very closely um, it it was a um, you know a number of storms that that came through uh, beginning um, right after seven o'clock we started getting we had the war- the watch up for a while but then we started getting the warnings for both severe thunderstorms and for tornadoes and we had some trees down elsewhere in the county outside of northwest Monroe County where the tornadoes apparently hit 
uh, but then we also had a lot of rain. Mm -hmm. And so then we turn our eyes to uh, Lake Monroe as well. And there was a warning in southwest Monroe County as well this weekend. So there were a number of warnings. I, I counted a total of about 10 warnings that came out across, whether they were continuing warnings or new ones, that came out over our um, weather alert uh, through the county. Mm -hmm. We're going to broaden this out a little bit. I think both Paul Staten and Beth Hall, I want to ask this question, maybe both of you can weigh in on it, but, you know, this this season, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about climate change, obviously, and the more severe climate change is creating more severe weather. Is is that a factor in what's going on now? Uh, Paul, you want to start? Yeah, so uh, the severe weather we've had lately is part of a pattern we've seen the last couple of years. Um, the uh, pieces of this pattern are typical when you have uh, El Nino, for example. We've had two El Nino years in a row. Um, there's another upstream uh, effect besides El Nino. Further upstream in the western Pacific, there's something called the Madden-Julian Oscillation, or the MJO. And uh, it's like a pocket of storms. You can see it from satellite. And when these, when these storms go off, they inject heat and moisture in the atmosphere, and they nudge the jet stream even more. And we're downstream. And when the jet stream uh, moves in the way it has, we call that the, the NAO, North Atlantic Oscillation. So there are three different things that are happening, and they're lining up, kind of like stars aligning. And um, when they all line up, we get extreme weather like this, and they've just done it well. But on top of that, uh, when you have a warmer climate, you have an atmosphere that it much more efficiently evaporates and contains moisture, and then it also can dump more moisture out. So in addition to um, this pattern, we may have a climate impact going on here where we have just a juicier atmosphere when these events, when these stars line up. And uh, this kind of thing is, is probably typical of what you can expect um, in the upcoming decades. Mm-hmm. And then how often, if, if I may ask, does that – is this a, like a, a cycle that kind of happens through a certain part of the country or, or is it pretty random? You know, El Nino, um, you know, happens, you know, it goes on and off every six years or so. Um, MJO is a matter of, it's shorter than the seasons. It just, these different cycles, every now and then, basically randomly, they mm-hmm. all coincide and line up. Mm-hmm. So it's not a very regular thing. And the impacts are pretty widespread. It's not just here in the eastern states where we're feeling impacts. Um, all the the low pressure we get here downstream the Atlantic, you have this high pressure ridge they call it, and then past that you have these extreme, um, these hot extremes are getting over in in Eurasia. So all this is is actually connected to these um, uh, sea surface temperature fluctuations in Pacific and these jet stream fluctuations downstream. Beth, I want to ask you to sort of weigh in on these, but first I want you to to explain a little bit about what the Indiana State Climate Office is and does. There's actually a state climate office in almost all 50 states. I think there's just one or two that are still trying to identify it. But it was recognized that there is a role for each state to be monitoring the weather and climate and really try and put it into historical perspective to try and get an understanding of, is this the wettest spring that we've ever experienced? Is this the most uh, rainfall for a particular period? Uh, And because there are unique impacts, that happens. So for Indiana agriculture, water resources are going to be a big factor, where maybe out west it's the wildfires and water supplies. So uh, state climate office is continually monitoring the conditions. We don't do forecasting per se, but we do try and create a story so that we don't 
keep repeating the same uh, mistakes in terms of response of this atmosphere that we really don't have a lot of control over. So if we know that in the past when we've had a particularly, particularly wet spring like we did, well, when was the last time we had a particularly wet spring and what happened for the summer? How did it impact supplies and infrastructure? So it's trying to apply that climate data into all aspects of our life so that our quality of life is not um, exacerbated beyond reason. We can learn from this, educate ourselves, and actually make better decisions. So if, if I, this might be a really broad question, so if it is, you can you know, give me a real short answer, Cliff, the Cliff's Notes versions. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're writing a story about 2019 today, don't you, what, what is the story? What, what are we seeing so far this year? Uh, I would say the story is unusually wet spring. It's not record-breaking by any means. If we look at uh, data going back to 1895 or maybe the 10th wettest spring, it's the timing of it and how it's been impacting agriculture. And we couple that wetness with relatively cool temperatures. They're not um, particularly cold in terms of record-breaking, but if we had this much precipitation with warmer temperatures, then it could evaporate faster. Also, plants would respond faster to warmer temperatures. But we have almost a a two-phase worst scenario in terms of agriculture where it's too wet to plant, and what we are planting just is not getting the energy fast enough to grow and be resilient against the wetness. Okay. Joe? Uh, I've heard about, we hear this term tornado alley, and that that it might be shifting to, first of all, can we define maybe what is tornado alley? Is Indiana part of tornado alley? It depends a little bit on the time of year. Uh, If you look worldwide at where tornadoes tend to occur, you'll see this hot spot right over the United States. We're downstream of the Rockies, north of the Gulf of Mexico, and everything lines up just right. And sometimes the year, most of the tornadoes happen further south in the Great Plains, and then other times a year it's Mm -hmm. closer to to Illinois and Indiana. Mm -hmm. And so does, uh, with the shifting, is that something that has happened over, over time, or is that something that's happening more now that we're seeing? From what we can tell, we're seeing, well, over time, if you look at Tornado Alley, first off, we don't have very good tornado records going very far back. Um, You have more people reporting tornadoes. You have um, the advent of um, the Doppler radar, so we can um, uh, more accurately, you know, um, warn of tornadoes and Mm -hmm. and send the spotters out, just more people to spot them. So we, you have to sift through um, this you know, pretty short record, but also this rapidly evolving record, and try to discern a climate trend in there. Um, and there are studies out there that suggest that perhaps tornadoes um, may be getting more intense. The ingredients for tornadoes are certainly um, being amplified, um, but it seems like there also may be a northward shift in, in Tornado Alley during part of the year. So can you talk a little bit more about the ingredients for a tornado and why they're, you know, what, what the, what's happening that make, makes them maybe more prevalent? Right. So for any thunderstorm, you need to have, um, you need to have low-level moisture. You need to have something called instability in the atmosphere. We all know if you take a, a beach ball and push it underwater, it will go up on its own. Um, so sometimes warm air will go up like a beach ball if the atmosphere is unstable. And uh, the third thing you need is something to just trigger lift to get that air moving up in the first place. 
to get a tornadic storm, you also need something called wind shear. And that is a difference between wind speeds near the surface or direction and wind speed or direction up above. So you have this difference in wind speed. It creates this tumbling in the atmosphere. And this tumbling can be turned by an updraft into something like a tornado of twisting. And in a warmer, more moist atmosphere, of course, you have more low-level moisture. You sometimes also can get the... um, the you can, it modifies the, st- the instability part of it as well. So you have changed moisture, instability. Um, how it affects the wind shear is a more complicated question because that's going to ri- rely on things like jet shifts and changes in large-scale storm patterns. Mm-hmm. And then in those terms, when we're reporting or we're live on the air and we get these reports about uh, wall clouds, of course, a funnel cloud. Funnel cloud would be that one step right before a tornado, right? Right. Uh, can you explain what a wall cloud is? Yeah, so the parent storm of a tornado is actually a thing that the radar usually detects. They detect something called a mesocyclone that's in the storm, this larger rotating center of the storm. And um, sometimes at the base of this mesocyclone, you'll have part of the storm that the cloud actually sticks down a little ways below the rest of the storm, and it looks like a mothership or a UFO, <laughs> and that's the wall cloud. Mm-hmm. And that's like, uh, like a telltale signature of the supercell-type storms that tornadoes are often spawned from. I see. All right. If you want to join our program today, we're talking about the severe weather that's been plaguing uh, southern and central Indiana as well as a lot of the rest of the country. Join us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, join us by following us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, Julie Thomas is president of the Monroe County Commissioners, as as we've said. So when, you know, it seems like there are a lot of people out there that are really interested in the weather. How, what's the protocol that you go through when to set off the sirens and to decide whether you're going to call an emergency and all those kinds of things? Well, that's a great question. Uh, some of this is based on what's indicated by radar. So they'll say this is a severe storm. Radar indicates it may include a tornado. And so sometimes the sirens will be um, initiated through National Weather Service alerts. Uh, we also have um, a group of amateur uh, radio operators, uh, not only in this county but throughout the state, who are working together. They train every spring uh, to identify different types of storms and to be able to spot um, weather and uh, weather spotters or what they're called. And um, sometimes it'll be it'll come from a sheriff's deputy or state police trooper who might see something in the sky that they they're trained to to identify. Um, but we have a wonderful emergency management department. Um, Allison Moore is doing a great job, and, and uh, really those, those alerts come out of that office. We don't make calls in advance. She just acts, and she, kno- she knows what's going on, and, and she doesn't need to check with us. Much like when we have an um, emergency in the, in the wintertime, it's a road emergency for snow or ice or bad driving conditions, that will come out of um, uh, Ms. Moore's office and from our highway department. Uh, they don't necessarily need to consult us um, unless they go to the highest level, and then they'll we'll text and we'll call. Okay. 
So how much damage was there um, last weekend? Well, my understanding is that there were about 26 homes impacted, although that number may not be the final count, of course. And uh, some homes were impacted uh, with minor damage, but there was some major structural damage. There were a lot of trees down. We had, uh, for example, our uh, road crew uh, was out. Uh, some of the guys started arriving at the garage as early as 7.30 on Saturday night. I mean, this is Father's Day weekend, right? And so um, uh, they're arriving, and they are going out with chainsaws. And I was listening to dispatch radio, and, and you know, deputies are saying, oh, I've got a chainsaw. I'll come out there. And um, we had a full contingent of, of sheriff's deputies out there as well, plus all of the township fire district uh, territory and township fire departments. Um, plus, there were a few uh, volunteers who came in to help from the city as well, which we appreciate. So everybody just kinds of, you know, they all hands on deck and uh, but Didymore Road, I've uh, we have pictures, uh, I believe, on our, still on our Facebook page where you could just see tree after tree like dominoes just laying in the roadway. And they had to clear all of that to get people in and out, to get emergency responders in and out, and to get residents in and out, and uh, utility crews finally. Um, so that's always the last thing. Mm-hmm. I have to. I wanted to ask about the. You mentioned the spotters, and I can't tell you how important they are in terms of the. Uh, they're kind of the hands on deck as soon as a storm starts because those reports are so important. All we're getting in the media side is tornado warning. And when you go on air, you feel like you need to say more. But then when you start seeing in Greene County or Owen County that there are um, damage to barns, uh, billboards knocked over, trees down, and you know it's moving west at, uh, I'm sorry, east at 30 miles per hour, you're starting to think, oh, that is coming here. And so can you maybe explain, and all, all three of you, anyone who wants to jump in, maybe the role of the spotter, how they're activated, and, and how that communication, because that information has to get someplace to be able to get out to everybody. Uh, my understanding, um, and this is all secondhand, but my understanding is that they are, um, that as soon as a storm becomes likely, they get on and they create a network. And they start communicating with one another, and they they're it all of, they're all over the county already, and so they usually from where they are at home or if they're in their car, they're mobile, and they make their reports. And if there's something seen that is um, a significant event, whether it be um, a large you know wind shear incident, not necessarily tornadic, or a lot of rain or very large hail. Uh, it gets called in and contacted into uh, the National Weather Service, and they manage it from there. And I assume that's what you're watching at that point, too, right? Right. Yeah, we're watching you're, the radar. Kinda, and, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had some weather spotters on here. Um, you know, they don't like to be called uh, tornado chasers, but they no. we had them on yeah, here, yeah. and they were really interesting guys because they, they go out and they hear about bad storms, and they go looking for them. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Beth Hall, I want to bring you back on and ask you, you know, you talked about the wetness of this spring, and, and well, I guess today's the first day of summer today. Or it is. Today, yeah. So yeah. the wetness of, of this spring so far. What's the data say about the number of tornadoes that we've had? Or, um, you know, do you keep records about, you know, the strength of the winds that are, are blowing through our, our state? So the data is collected. It's sometimes difficult with tornadoes because they do need to have uh, experts, typically from the National Weather Service, go out to the site because tornado tornado damage and straight-line wind damage can be uh, difficult to distinguish for a non-trained person. 
so trying to understand was this a tornado that went through or was it straight line wind damage that caused it so usually the storm prediction center it takes about a year for them to finally release the numbers but we do have preliminary data uh, nationally available and this is a rather active year as i'm looking back all the way to 1950 this is so far across the U.S., the third most active year in terms of number of tornadoes just based on the preliminary data. It does look through the historical record that there has been an increasing number of tornadoes, but um, it's difficult to really believe those numbers because, first of all, uh, prior to Doppler radar, you needed really somebody to witness a tornado. So there could have been quite a few tornadoes that occurred and nobody saw it. Um, do you have a question? No. Well, I was just going to say that's just really interesting to me because, you know, I can, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the tornadoes of, what, the late 60s. And there was one in, I think, 1973 or 74 that came through. And, you know, the, the, just the Doppler, Doppler weather, Doppler radar, that's, that, that has really changed the way the forecasting is done and, and the way that the, the knowledge that we have. So... So, yeah, I mean, I guess the follow-up question I was going to ask you really had to do with, um, you know, the, the strength of these tornadoes, too. Can you, you know, can you see whether the strength has been growing or is it just the numbers have been growing, but the strength may be because we know there are more and more of them um, and, and we didn't know how many there were back then that maybe the average strength is not as strong? Right. That's a really good question because a lot of the tornadoes, even those that have been experienced in Indiana, have been on the lower end of the scale. So fortunately, they haven't done too much destruction and too many loss of lives. So we might be getting more and more of these smaller tornadoes and certainly still respect them, still go for cover, don't think that, you know, it's safe to be outside for that. But uh, at this point, I'm not seeing too much data that backs up the claims that there are an increasing number of the more severe or EF4 uh, scale uh, tornadoes, which is a good sign. But um, as Paul mentioned before, just being in Tornado Alley and the atmosphere having so much more energy, I think we will see uh, more tornadoes than we have historically, even if we compare it to 10 or 20 years ago. But hopefully the, the major severe ones will still be down to just a handful per year. I want to uh, follow up on this line of questioning after we take a short break. But we've reached our halfway mark. So if you have questions or comments, want to join our program today, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Or you can send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day, at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. 
It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUnews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Joe Wren. And you know everybody likes to talk about the weather, and that's what we're doing today. There's a lot, been a lot going on with the weather in uh, South Central Indiana, and we're, we're talking about today with three uh, terrific guests. Beth Hall, the director of the Indiana State Climate Office at Purdue University. Paul Staten, assistant professor in Indiana University's Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. And Julie Thomas, who's here on the ground as president of the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, and she had to deal with uh, an emergency situation over the weekend with tornadoes that were that hit Monroe County. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us uh, a tweet at Noon Edition if you have a question, don't want to go on the air, or you can send a question to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So I want to follow up on that uh, with Paul. So Paul Staten is uh, in the IU Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. Um, you know, the the knowledge that we have now about the weather and about the atmosphere, it seems like, you know, in the last half century, it must have, you know, multiplied by, I don't know, a, a factor of who knows how many, uh, because people are, are really studying it like you. And so, you know, what... What what does the additional like the Doppler radar and and the additional um, forecasting methods you know how's that sort of changed how we look at storms and how we're able to to deal with the storms that come along? Well, decades ago, weather forecasting was very much uh, looking at your barometer and seeing how many inches of mercury you were measuring, and everyone would call these numbers or telegraph these numbers in. And someone would draw on a map what they thought was going on. But then satellites and radar uh, have given us this global picture. We have a better idea of why storms, large-scale storms, move the way they do. And um, uh, Doppler radar is fantastic because you can, you can see the direction the storms are moving. You can see how heavy the precipitation is falling out of these storms. You can get an idea of what kind of precipitation is falling out. And, again, you can get an idea if there's a tornado or... Um, of course, you usually need a spotter or someone on the ground to actually confirm that it's there because radars look up. So um, these tornado outbreaks we've had this spring, a lot of them have just been forecasted spot on. The um, Storm Prediction Center releases outlooks days in advance. You know, these are the areas that you can expect storms. And when you look at actual reports afterwards, they line up so well. In spite of this, there are large challenges um, at the local level here on the ground. I mean, you'll have a a perfectly forecasted event, and as soon as uh, the radars detect a spitting storm signature, they send off a warning that there was a tornado in uh, Lee County earlier this spring, Lee County, Alabama. And, uh, you know, as soon as the, the sirens went off, there was basically a tornado on the ground. And so there were people on the ground um, in homes that weren't quite up to spec, and even with this great forecasting, people are still in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would also assume that you know, you've, you forecast it for a particular area like northern Monroe County. And if you're in northern Monroe County, you still don't know exactly where it's going to go. 
Right, right. You have the the weather models can tell you what the the storms will probably look like and about where they'll be. They can give you the ingredients and tell you what kind of storms you'll get. But right, you have to look at where those uh, those storms are. And, and Saturday, it was, you know, for me, it's a bit of a game watching the radar, looking at the, and seeing, figuring out where these things are going to go and how nervous my family should be. Or. Yeah. Well, that was something that was interesting, a little confusing, if, if so, on Saturday when we were uh, broadcasting. That I think Monroe County had three tornado warnings at the same time, mm-hmm. and one expired at 8.15, you know, 8.10. I'm making this up now, but they were different. And I had to stop and say, okay, well, this one is for northern Monroe County, Brown County, Morgan County. This tornado warning is for southern Monroe County. Eastern, you know, so uh, they're pinpointing, but then at one point it was a, it was it was a lot to keep track of, and I, I don't know if that was a if you had that same moment that I had on Saturday too. And it's like, wait a minute, what is going on right now? There's a Absol- lot going on. <laughs> Absolutely, I will say one thing that I'm really proud of is that Monroe County has this great siren system where we have on a map we could show where all the siren locations are. They went off as they were supposed to, and some people are like, why are they going off so many times? But they went off as they were supposed to uh, because I've been reading stories about other places in Indiana this weekend that did not – they did not have sirens going off or the sirens went off after the storm hit. And I think that's a really great thing that we can do. Uh, we also have um, an alert system for free for county residents. They can go to our website, co.monroe.in.us, and they can sign up for free, and they will get these alerts on email or text or b- via a phone call. And if you go, if you receive the emails, for example, there will be a description box from the National Weather Service included. And that will be very, very specific about where the storm was located at that moment, where they think it's going. And so you can get detailed information that way as well. And when you think about, you said, what, 20-some homes may be damaged, and that number's going to go up and down. I think Bloomfield, Greene County, 50 homes, but yet... I have yet to see, and maybe you guys have more info, a report of injuries or deaths from this this past storm. That is Is always our first concern. Yes, absolutely. That is, we are so grateful for that, that there were just a few minor injuries and a lot of of scared people, of course. This is a really frightening storm. Uh, But we are so grateful that everyone was okay and they they rode the storm up because they heard the sirens and they paid attention. And that's what we all have to do in this community. But then Beth and Paul, I mean, this is what you've been saying about the technology is changing. It's trickling down to the public, too, and warnings are getting out sooner and and maybe are more uh, specific about where the tornado or the uh, severe storm could be. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, hearing the conversation so far, that really the introduction of the smartphone and then the pervasiveness of having a smartphone, I think, has contributed a lot to safety because people now can pull up a radar map where almost wherever they are and when you see an alert come over your phone that there's a tornado warning in Monroe County I know for me in whatever county I am I'm immediately pulling up the radar map to see what part of the county is this near me or is it an opposite end so I I think having the smartphone now there are challenges when people are outdoors and as was pointed out, if it's a holiday weekend, people are outdoors, they might be playing in a park, they might have left their smartphone in their car or purse, and then all of a sudden they may not be aware of that. So I hope that we don't get too dependent and assume everyone has a smartphone with them, because it's those that are outside that might have left it in the car or in a bag. They may not see these alerts. 
I'm going to ask a, a question that I don't know. It might be a simple question. might not be. But it seems to me that most of these storms are going from west to east. I mean, if, if so if I hear that there's a tornado warning in Greene County, I'm usually afraid that or I know, okay, it's coming my way. I mean, are there times when storms might – go from south to north or north to south or i mean how does that how does that work is there is is that like an outlier if something like that happens paul Uh, A little bit. They definitely can come from the opposite direction. Sometimes I'll be checking my radar app in the morning before we go for a run to see if we have to worry about a rainstorm. And I'll think, oh, we're fine. Then I animate it, and all of a sudden I see the storms are coming from the other direction. Um, A lot of the time when we have the severe weather, it's because there's something called an extratropical cyclone. There's a cold front not too far off, or there's a stationary front. And these things tend to line up a certain way because of the way the jet stream Uh, jet stream moves and where the different air masses are. And so typically when you have supercell tornado, tornadic storms, typically they do move from southwest to northeast. It's no guarantee, but it's a rule of thumb. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, and talk about just changing technology and new. I don't know how many of you saw the tornadoes just on Facebook. There are all these special groups now for Monroe County Emergency Management and other things. And while we were airing, I'm looking over and people are posting a tornado going right past their uh, the fields. And so there it is, right there in front of you. Not live per se, but we're talking maybe minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can reach us at news at indianapublicmedia.org. We did have a caller who uh, sort of told a story to our producer about being close to a tornado. So if you've got you know, experiences you want to share with us, you can, you can give us a call as well. All right. So I, I guess the, the next question I, I want to ask is of Beth. And again, to, in your office, you said earlier you don't really do any forecasting, so you can't tell us what's going to happen next year. But uh, <laughs> but, but what, do you make a, a report at the end of the year? I mean, how, what, what do you do with the data that you collect? Is it just ongoing? Certainly when there are special seasons or special year, it's common to put together a report. And actually, these reports tend to be gathered across the regional scale or even at the national scale. So the State Climate Office and state climatologists of other states will typically work with the Department of Agriculture's Climate Hub. For the Midwest, uh, we would work with Weather Service offices. Uh, This year, not so much the drought uh, folks, but perhaps. And so it's a very collaborative effort across a bunch of uh, organizations, agencies at the federal, state, local level to try and document uh, what happened. What were the impacts from what happened from year to year? As far as is this going to happen again next year, it seems a lot of times what we have this year is not going to be what happens (laughs) next year. So I don't know if that's good news, but are we? does that mean we're looking at the drought or next year? Or, you know, as Paul pointed out, we're in our second El Nino year, which can be somewhat unusual to have a repeat El Nino. So it sounds like what, what your office does is you really do collect a lot of data over time and that people who are interested in seeing, you know, long, long-range trends would turn to your office and the other 49 states to, to look at that. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. 
We can go and communicate what is climate, uh, what are the different nuances of it, how can the everyday person use historical climate conditions to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. For um, managers for city like, cities like Bloomington looking into the future, um, there are reports about uh, you know climate change in Indiana. So there's the Indiana uh, Climate Change Impacts Assessment Report. There's also mm-hmm. here in uh, Indiana University, there's the Environmental Resilience Institute, which is trying to, you know, do more of that collaboration, kind of bridging the gap between uh, an academics, um, the Indiana Climate Change Climate Office, and uh, and you know, county and city managers. I think everybody, uh, you know, I can I can sort of go off on on my own a little bit. I think everybody's really nervous at the university level. They don't want to be make it into a political kind of situation. But I think, like at IU, the uh, the, the grand challenge in the, the Climate Resilience Office is trying to, to say, well, you know, there are things happening, so how can we prepare for them? You know, they're trying to stay out of the political arena because as, even though, you know, all these climate scientists tell us things are going on, it can still be kind of a political football. So it's a, it's a tough line to walk, I guess. Uh, we have uh, Brittany who's calling in, and she just wants to know if there are better shelters for people or where to go if you're in an apartment, there's no basement, and there's – you think about more urban areas too. But um, do you guys have any in, in, in information to pass along? Well, since I don't know her particular environment, I don't want to yeah. give her advice that that's going to go um, a foul field. But I, um, I would say that it's really great that she's thinking about this now because the mm-hmm. time to think about it is now when it's sunny outside. Um, and it's really important to know exactly where to go. And if you're not sure, if you live in an apartment, if you live in a mobile home park, for example, um, if you're renting a house that doesn't have a basement, uh, talk to the landlord, talk to the manager, the property manager, and ask that question. And if you don't feel like their answer is good enough, you can call um, either um, your the emergency management office for help or assistance. You can call um, your local um, fire department directly. Don't use 911 for this. Um, you can call your local fire department directly and ask them um, if they have some advice. Uh, but it is time. The time to think about it is really now. Um, and not when it when the sirens are going off. Yeah, where where do I go? I think at the bottom of every tornado warning, uh, go to an interior room on the lowest floor, and also a ditch. Even if you need to escape a mobile home, because those usually get destroyed. And the same thing with apartments. I can see being on a top floor of sure. an apartment, being in a ditch where you're under more kind of underground per se, and the tornado. If, if it happens to be near, would pass by or pass over you. Right. And they say if you're in a car, don't don't yeah. stay in your car if there's a tornado and don't go under an overpass because that's actually the one of the worst places you can be in terms of the wind yeah. tunnel effect. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of distracting advice out there with yeah. where do you go in a tornado. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a plan is the, the biggest thing. And one thing that helps is, uh, is to remember that with tornadoes, for example, the thing that uh, usually kills people is debris. Uh, so wherever, make sure your plan takes that into account. You want to be somewhere where if a two-by-four or a piece of a roof is flying through the air, it's not going to get to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these tornadoes you can't see. I think when a tornado warning is issued, a lot of people want to see the tornado, um, and but that's not what you want to do. Some, it, sometimes it's dark out. It could be rain-wrapped rain where, where, yeah. where it's... 
it, you just can't see it anyway, and so you're causing more more problems for yourself and your family. Not a good or, idea to no. go to the window. Don't no, right. no, well, you know, no. The closest to Bloomington Saturday basically skirted the southeast, um, skirted the town to the southeast. And if you're on the, the northeast flank or the storm's approaching from the south, straight from the southeast, you're not going to see it. The if if you're going to see a storm, odds are it's already passing you to the northwest. So mm. if if there's if you're going out and looking, you're either not going to be seeing anything. If there's any danger, you're not going to see it coming. Are there any myths with tornadoes in terms of what people – I've sometimes heard, oh, they don't cross bodies of water or they, <laughs> they, they won't – they'll go over – or not was it over a mountain or around a mountain or, or, or something? I, I mean, I've, Well, I've always heard that yeah, Bloomington right. is a little safer than a lot of the county because – it's kind of in a – there are hills or something around. So Yeah, that, that's tornadoes don't care. <laughs> they really don't care. Uh, they don't care if you live in a city or out in a field. Uh, there's, there's a misperception that tornadoes uh, hit are more li- – you're more likely to get a tornado if you live in a rural setting than a city setting. Well, it's just because there are more rural settings out there than city settings. I mean, the, the tornadoes don't care. They're equal opportunity offenders. All right. Okay. So if you have a question or a comment, we've got about 10 minutes to go. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. And you can also follow us uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition or you can send us questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So I don't want to, to um, make light or totally skirt the issue of climate change because I think it's it's very real. I think there's a lot of public policy being made with climate change in mind. I'm sure that the Monroe County Commissioners and Bloomington City Council and a lot of other people are. So I guess I want to ask uh, our two um, people from the state and from IU, Paul and and Beth, I mean, the um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the, the importance of keeping an eye on What's happening in the long term, and making some sort of you know public public policy decisions based on uh, the data that that either you know you, that universities like Purdue University or Indiana University gather. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a general question, I guess. But Beth, can you talk about that? Yeah, I I think that just looking at the data, uh, we are seeing some definite trends. So uh, there's debate on specifics of annual precipitation, how that's changing, how much it's increasing, but what is not being debated in Indiana, at least from the data that we've been collecting, is that the number of heavy precipitation events are increasing. So if over a full year you get 50 inches of rain, now that's maybe happening over fewer days. So the impact that we need to think about that is erosion impacts for the agricultural communities, for city infrastructure, if they have storm drainage piping to try and uh, divert uh, storm water away from roads and stuff, they may need to reconsider the size of those drains. Are they, when they replace them, are they gonna be big enough to handle storms that are dumping a lot more water? Uh, so those are the factors that are a big deal. Even with temperature, we're seeing an increasing trend, again, just based on the pure data, that nighttime temperatures are not cooling off as much. Uh, so the daytime highs aren't necessarily a big deal, but we're seeing a clear trend in the nighttime lows that are increasing. So how does that impact people who may not have air conditioning? Um, how does that impact plants? or other animals that are trying to recover over those nighttime 
cooler temperatures. So these are ways that we can look at the data and then think about how does that impact us when we are replacing or making new policies. Is this going to be a factor to our decisions? Mm -hmm. Anything to add, Paul? Yeah, it's it, it's a challenge because your data come from the past and you build now for the future. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and Julie, you're facing That's, that, right? Absolutely. You know, we can prepare and we can adapt. Uh, we can do things to try to uh, stop climate change, you know, solar panels and, and a different fleet of vehicles. And we can do a lot of things like that. But there's so much that's going on that impacts things like our road infrastructure, um, our stormwater. We don't have a lot of storm sewer in the county. Most of our drainage is through the natural creeks and waterways and hills that we have, and that's a huge issue of erosion. And so we have to think about, um, do we need to change our standards? How quickly can we? And what about planning and zoning and buildings? And um, how do we make all this fit together? There are health consequences with climate change. And all of these things tend to impact the most vulnerable people in our community first. And we have to be really aware of that and be prepared to assist them. And all we can do is adapt and adapt. So when those big um, floods hit this spring in, um, well, in the last month or so in the Midwest, the NOAA, uh, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, had given a warning in about March that said this is going to be a really flood-prone area this spring. But think about if we had received that message, what could we do in a couple of months? And so we have to be really mindful of the cost of infrastructure and how all of that plays into this. And that's what we try to do. All right. We're going to take a phone call now. We've got Jim on the line. Jim? Hey, Jim, are you there? Well, we. Oh, yeah, Jim, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, Jim Reed Duster here. I grew up in Bloomington, had plenty of bad storms and tornadoes over the last six decades. I'm a, fortunately, I've been here that long. The question is I always heard growing up that if there's a tornado and, it's, and you can see it or you know it's in the area, that you should open a window or two to equalize the pressure in the house so that it doesn't. Yeah, you know, I understand it's really low outside, and it can cause some damages. Is that is there any truth to that old myth? All right, who wants some? Paul? Um, that's actually one of the the perfect examples of one of the distractor actions that we were often told to take. I mean, I remember hearing that one from when I grew up, and um, so that's what I was told too. But in the end, it's really the debris that matters. Mm -hmm. Beth, did you have okay. something to add? Yeah, I was thinking, I, I remember growing up hearing that as well, but what we're now realizing is the debris that's coming from the storm is probably going to naturally break a window. So instead of spending time trying to open the right windows and so forth, seek cover because a window will likely be open from debris breaking the window. All right. Okay. All right, Jim, be careful. Take care. All right. Thanks. All right, so we only have about five minutes to go. I guess um, we can talk a little bit more about some of the, some of the things that you, I guess, that we should be doing to prepare for you know what's happening and, and what some of the data shows. I guess uh, again, I'm going to turn to Julie Thomas. I know you know climate change climate change change seems to be coming up more and more on any public debate about almost any issue. Am I seeing that correctly? 
I think you are. I, in the national stage, it's a more political conversation. Here, it's more practical, I think, um, because uh, we we do have um, a stormwater board and a stormwater fee that we manage, and we are working on specific road projects where the roads are more prone to flooding, uh, and we prioritize those over other projects. And so... For example, what happened this weekend with Didamore Road, that changes the priority of our paving program uh, because now we have put more of our funds towards that emergency. And so uh, everything that happens, we have to react and we try to prepare as much as we can. But I think the biggest thing and the thing that we don't talk about enough is the problem of water and the problem of flooding and erosion and um, especially making sure that residents know that if you see a sign that's been erected by the Monroe County Highway Department that says, you know, high water, do not pass, do not pass. There's a reason that sign is there. Mm-hmm. Please do not try. Oh, I know the area. Oh, I know how high the water is. It doesn't matter. It does not take much water moving quickly to move a vehicle, uh, which is a surprising strength that it has. We just have to be really mindful that it's more than tornadoes, that our biggest, our, one of our biggest issues is probably going to be water in this community. And then with erosion, you have the impact on water quality because of Lake Monroe. And so um, the question about how uh, we manage uh, runoff into the lake and how much silt is in the lake and does that have to be removed and what kind of pollutants are coming with that silt. And so there are multiple questions and problems that emerge with with more rain. And I believe is the statistic correct, flash flooding, the number one weather killer? Is that true? I think I've read that somewhere. It's one of those trivia questions. People think tornadoes would be number one, in, at least in Indiana or in the, in the country, and it's flash flooding. Yeah, I don't, yeah. don't know if we have those statistics, but it's definitely something that we should keep an eye yeah. on. All right, so I wanted to ask uh, Paul, so what kind of students do you train in the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences? I have... Uh, three graduate students in my lab, so um, and they're working on PhDs to go um, work in, in in labs or or other uh, universities. Um, we just had a, a student, um, Brett Waltz. He graduated uh, about a year ago. He works for BAM Weather in Indianapolis now. So I actually talked to him before coming here. I'm like, all right, so. Um, Get me up to speed on some of the things that have been happening. So BAM Weather up in Indianapolis. We have another student who just graduated, and she's graduate school bound out in Colorado. Um, so, um, and, and then I teach my introduction courses. So I teach students from all over the university about, about weather and climate. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you, I mean, what, what are the major, um, you know, I don't want you to teach a course here in the next two minutes, but mm-hmm. I mean, what are one or two takeaways that you hope that every one of your students gets from you? <laughs> uh, one of the things that I hope happens is that students walk out their door and look up and <laughs> see some of the, and see some of the more amazing things they are to see. Um, or also when, when a weather event happens that they can have an idea, oh, well, when this happens, this is the kind of plan we should have in place, or, ah, this is, maybe this is why it's happening, and that they ask these questions so that they're interested and that they're prepared because weather affects um, you know, basically every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about southern Indiana and central Indiana and what, the kind of weather we're having here because obviously that's the major gist of our program today. But what's going on in the national scene, like with hurricanes and and uh, uh, cyclones, I get uh, other kinds of storms? Are we seeing 
more of those too? Do you, you teach about that too, I assume? Right. Um, Dr. Chan Q in our department um, could tell you all about how um, tropical cyclones were tending to get um, more and more of the most extreme tropical cyclones. And a lot of this um, has to do with what you were talking about earlier with, uh, with climate change. Climate change just, it's, um, it tends to turn a lot of things up a little bit. It tends to amplify a lot of different things happening. And uh, around the country, that's a lot of what you're seeing. You look at the different um, hurricanes and tropical cyclones that have hit us. Um, and they've just been, the moisture in the atmosphere has been turned up. And so the severity of the damage, sometimes the wind speed, often the rain and the flooding or the storm surge have all been turned up. And so um, you have more damage because of that. Also, you have more damage from things like this because we have built more targets. There's more on the ground, more people, more structures on the ground. So these things playing together are making things more expensive. Okay. We're going to have to hold it at that. I want to thank our guests today, um, Beth Hall, Paul Staten, and Julie Thomas. For our co- my co-host, Joe Wren, for producer, Benta Boutier, and engineer, Kevin Evans, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.